I encourage people to just practice, like just try it. Just say yes to things that make you feel uncomfortable and notice what's making you feel uncomfortable and what are you nervous about? And then like so many scenarios I've said, well, what's the worst that can happen? And we go there so fast and think that's the way it's going to be. Wow. 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 Do you ever meet someone and just say, wow? Maybe it's because they're dynamic, have a great story, or just bring a tremendous amount of passion. Well, today's guest is a mix of all that. We have the good fortune of getting to hear Heidi Dusek share her story and insights. She's a catalyst, healthy disruptor, and unshakable optimist. Heidi's passion lies in challenging the status quo, driving change, and delivering experiences. While stacking talents and lived experiences is her superpower, she continually embraces each role with a lens of empathy, trust, and curiosity as critical threads embedded in the fabric of designing an authentic and memorable life. Lest you think she's a full-time sponsored athlete and travels the world, I want to tell you she has a full-time job, is married to a teacher, is mother of three, and they all live in a super old farmhouse in Wisconsin. And although no one person or tribe can ever master anything, they've embraced the journey of trying to perfect an adventurous lifestyle. Well, welcome, Heidi. It's awesome to have you here today from our great cheese state of Wisconsin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Brian. This is fun. Uh, I hope our listeners, I, I, they'll be in for a real treat because Heidi, as I mentioned in the intro, is just an awesome mom and she's rolling out some really cool things for families to do and, and adventures to create. So with that, I'm going to throw a question, a question that she posed on her Instagram through a video, which is, how do you know you need adventure? So I'll <laughs> ask you, Heidi. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think it comes from this place of being stuck. When I feel stuck, I'm usually aware like something's out of alignment for me. And if, and I gave a couple of examples, but for me, if I feel like I'm sitting on the sidelines where I'm watching everybody do everything and I'm not participating, that's usually a sign for me. But also if all of the things, right, of just daily life are consuming me, those are so energy sucking and non- fulfilling that I realize those are usually moments for me where I go, oh, okay, I need a pause. I need some white space. I need an adventure in my life. I need something because the, I think over the years, I've really realized that when I am adventuring or traveling or whatever, and by the way, I define adventure as like a new kind of uncomfortable experience. So it's not always traveling. It's not always these epic things. It's usually just doing something to connect and get outside or push myself to do something different that I wouldn't normally do. And when I'm in that space, I actually feel like the best version of myself. And that's how I know if I'm not there, I usually know I'm like, okay, it's time to create space in my calendar, or it's time to start saying no to things and just open up my world a little bit so that I can have the opportunity to adventure. So that's, those are my two triggers. You know, if I feel stuck or if I feel like it's time. One of the reasons I reached out to you was, what you're preaching is when people think of adventure, they think, like you said, traveling the world. And ironically, <laughs> I just had a podcast yesterday I launched with a fireman um, who lives in Tampa, but they, they travel quite a bit as his adventure. So that is truly adventurous. But like you and I with young families at home, sometimes we can't take three or four trips a year, but we can do other adventures, like you said. And the adventure part really comes from getting outside of your comfort zone and you hit the nail on the head there. So you said the triggers. So what do you do next in that process yourself to jump into something like that? How do you choose your next adventure? What is your thought process? Well, I'm a little strange. I'm just going to be real. <laughs> so strange I, is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I usually try to say, okay, what can I do right now? Because the other thing I think is it, it's easy to get overwhelmed. So when I'm in that moment of like, blah, crazy, I'm like, all right, I need a timeout. And I usually just go for a walk. I mean, for me, the simple act of um, listening to a podcast and going for a walk is one of the simple things. And then I say, all right, I got to clear things up. I got to look at my schedule. And so I, I have a couple practices that I would say, 
and I'm not saying these work for everybody, but for me, when I got on this journey, I said, every day needs to feel like vacation. So how can I make something in my life feel like a vacation every day? And it wasn't always the epic things. You know, sometimes it's playing on the playground with my kids or it's having a picnic or it's going for a walk or it's all those little things. So one of the practices I've learned over the years is if I can focus every day on three things, um, something I want to accomplish for work, something I want to accomplish for myself and something I want to accomplish for the house or for the family. It just helps me stay simple, keep it focused enough that it's like, these are really manageable tasks that I can accomplish. Now there's obviously more than three things that happen in my life and I can't always control that. So not every day is perfect, but if I can lead into each day with that intention around how am I going to show up today? How am I going to get projects moving forward at work? How am I going to really tackle my own self-care and taking care of things in the house that need to get done? But balancing that all and having that focus on those three things has really helped me move things forward. That's great advice. And the word you mentioned in there, intentional, I use that word a lot too. I believe in it and I wrestle with being intentional. What are, what's some advice that you can give to folks on actually being intentional to do those things or be in, I'll say, the moment when you're doing those mini adventures? Oh gosh, we're going to go deep, aren't we? <laughs> oh yeah. We're, start, we're, we're starting at the deep end of the pool today, Heidi. Yeah, that's all right. I like the deep end. You know, I think so much of it comes from a learning of, um, so I use a practice that I, I journal quite frequently, but I also have kind of a outlook on life that so for example, adventures in our family, it's summer. We just literally, it's the first day of summer for my kids right now. We have a, I would say a framework that we go by where we create a monthly adventure list. Like here are the things we want to accomplish this summer. They're not scheduled. They're not defined. It doesn't require a ton of prep work. Some of them will, you know, we're going to be going to Hawaii for the first time in a long time. So there's definitely some adventures on that list that are travel specific and a little bit more epic. But for us, that intentionality of just having the conversation, creating the list, and then knowing what we're working towards is really helpful. Mm. Otherwise, you just get into this state of drift where you are living life in the busy train and it feels like, oh my gosh, it's August. How did summer get away from me? We haven't done any of those things. you know. So that list is helpful for us. And I'm not a super strong like schedule girl. I'm much more of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of girl. I'm very much a carpe diem girl. So I also, you know, when those things happen and I, like I mentioned, when I'm out of alignment, like when I realize my kids are talking to me and I don't know what they just said to me, I'm like, whoa, I got to like take a break here and like pause and look at them and pay attention. Um, you know, I had a moment the other day, I have two computer screens when I'm working, I'm working from home right now. So I have these two dual monitors and my daughter literally popped in between the two monitors and looked at me and I was like, oh my gosh, she's trying to get my attention. It shouldn't be this difficult to get my attention. So those are kind of wake up calls for me to go, okay, I just need to like pay attention and notice the things that are happening around me. And every once in a while, it's the things I don't like about my life that are the most revealing. Yeah, I can attest to that. The intentional part is taking the time to set up, okay, here's here's what we're shooting for. Mm -hmm. And there, it doesn't have to be totally scripted is what you're saying, but no. it gives us some guideposts to let's do these things and, and challenges we can present to ourselves and also our family. And before we got on this podcast, when you and I were talking offline, you, you said a really uh, poignant statement is, I didn't wanna choose between adventure and my family and how you've combined those two and things you've done. You mentioned the kids, you have three kids, uh, ages, I think 11, nine and five, right? Yep. So no excuses for us that only have two. She's got three. <laughs> Once you're outnumbered. It's not it's a, a competition. A, <laughs> no, but it's a different ball game because you are, you are outnumbered now so, with, with your husband. So walk us through the statement that you made and how you approached that as your family grew and, and the kids got older? Yeah. Well, a part of this has just to do with me. Like, I don't love the status quo. You know, I love to be a little bit on the edge or a little bit on the outside sometimes. And so I grew up um, out in the country. My dad is from a really big family. So we have family all over the country and we would take these road trips. We weren't, nothing was ever luxurious in my childhood. You know, it was very creative. It was very kind of scrappy a little bit and always making something out of nothing. And I think that was a trait that I learned early on and I carried through. 
But when I was 25, I moved to Chicago really to challenge myself. I decided to be a teacher in Chicago public schools, which was completely outside my comfort zone um, and completely a world unknown to me. And I learned so much from that experience that I was like, I never want to be so comfortable that I'm not willing to try this. So that kind of led me on my career path of like, I want to keep going further. I want to try to fix things. I want to, you know, I wanted to make a difference in different ways. I'm no longer a teacher and I don't work in Chicago public schools, but that was really the jumping off point for me. And then when I met my husband, he had never traveled before. And I was like, what, wait, wait, what? <laughs> like, I don't know that we can date. Like, I'm not sure if this is going to work out. And so slowly I had to bring him along. You know, he had never valued that type of experience because to him, it was like going to the RV up north was their idea of traveling. And I was like, I think there's more to life than up north. I mean, northern Wisconsin's gorgeous, but there's more to life than that. And you learn so much from these different experiences. So again, I wanted to bring him into that story and have him really see the value of travel and these adventures. And they didn't have to be these really expensive things either. You know, we didn't have to do all of the tourist stuff. Like we could really start to experience life together in a different way. And then when our kids came along, it kind of exasperated that, that I'm still a working mom. I work full time and my husband's still full time working. I have three kids. So I never wanted to sacrifice. Like I wasn't just going to say, oh, life, it's easy to see what adventure looks like in your 20s. It's harder to see what it looks like in your 30s. And then as I turned 40, I just turned 40. I'm like, OK, now I'm in another stage of my life. How do I, how does this continue to show up? Because it's easy for and now at the at my kids ages for them and their schedules to dictate what our life looks like right I could be in every traveling sports league I could be in dance competitions and piano you know like there are so many things that could fill our schedule and so I just didn't want to have to choose and leave out a core portion of who we were and who we wanted to become because of work or because of family I never wanted to, to sacrifice adventure and so I had to find creative ways to say okay my son is three months old. How are we going to adventure now? And, and then just trying it, right? It, and right. knowing it's not going to be perfect. I think the other piece that I've learned through being a parent that I never really appreciated was I could plan forever and it's still not going to go according to plan with children in my life. They right. have a different agenda and a different, you know, needs that need to be met at certain times. And so that has really helped me become much more resilient in recognizing the things that, that are valuable to me need to be, and they're never balanced, right? I don't necessarily believe in balance, but they need to at least be present in my life. Mm -hmm. As parents, we want to do such a good job, but we recognize it's never going to be perfect. But in a lot of parts of our other life, we try to be perfect. Like you said, the adventure or the vacation just has to be just perfect. And going back, you touched on, you have an RV. We talked a little bit about it and we've gotten into it as well. And I just had a friend the other day tell me his, he got advice when he got into RVing was listen, be ready on every trip for something to go wrong. <laughs> and it's, you kind of carry that over. Like if you accept that it's not going to be perfect, you're going to hit a bump but then you almost welcome it as the mm -hmm. challenge and it becomes part of the adventure. Going back to your husband though, I want to go, because I think this happens in a lot of relationships to start out before the kids come along is one person is used to being the adventurous one. One is not. Did you have to bring your husband kicking and screaming? Did he go willingly? How did you overcome that? And how did you walk him into the shallow end of the adventuring lifestyle? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the good news was that he appreciated camping and we have created a tradition actually with some of his friends that every Memorial Day we go camping with that core group of friends. And so slowly you just kind of stick your toe into the next deeper stage of water. When my son, my oldest son was two at the time, I don't know what it was, but he loved baseball. It was like we were up at 6 a.m. in the morning playing baseball and he's two. I'm like, how, how is this happening? He would sit and watch a game for hours on end. So I'm like, I can't even sit and watch this. This is painful. Like watching paint dry to some right. to a lot of folks. Right. Yeah. And so we were on a little road trip with a friend, some friends of ours to St. Louis, and we decided we were going to stop at the Major League Baseball Stadium there for the Cardinals. Uh, I think it's Bushfield. See, I'm not even that sophisticated to know all of them. Um, and 
I just saw the light in my my kid's eyes, my son's eyes. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Well, then later that year, uh, his family's on the other side of the state and we went to a twins game at Target Field. And again, it was like these moments started happening at these baseball fields. And my husband was like, oh, it's not necessarily about like where we go. It's about what happens when we go. You know, he started to really appreciate that even though it was just a baseball game, that just was the destination. It wasn't necessarily... That wasn't what was drawing us there. It was seeing my son in these moments that he was just lighting up and he was so excited and so in tune with what was happening. And I was like, this is kind of cool. So that same year we had a Brewers game and then it was like a thing. So now it's like, well, now can we hit all of the major league baseball stadiums before? And we just kind of made up a time frame. So we're, our intention is to hit them all before he graduates from high school. So it, it wasn't actually me even converting him. It was actually him seeing my kids or I, or us in these moments while on vacation that recognize it's easy. I don't want to say it's easier because it's not necessarily easier, but you start to appreciate and notice what matters on vacations or when you're out of the daily routine. And that's when I think he like the light bulb clicked for him. I actually can remember it. We were in Seattle again at a baseball game and he looked at me and he goes, I think I get it now. And I was like, yes, yes, this is it. Like we, it was so funny because we did not belong there. We were wearing the wrong jerseys and we didn't care who we were. Like we were just enjoying the ambiance and the experience. And he looked at me and he's like, okay, I get it. Like you don't need the front row seats. You don't need to be on some epic. It's not about the destination, right? It was about this journey that we've been on. And so he has now, he's all in now. Now I'm like, okay, slow down, slow down. (laughs) Right. It gets addictive, right? Once you, yeah. once you do that and coming back and still being intentional about, okay, that was not just one trip. We're going to make a habit of this process of whatever we're doing. But the interesting thing is I'll move forward a little bit. We had another conversation about your son and baseball, again, going against the grain, which is why we're talking, because this is awesome. And it's really hard to do with parents your kids really into baseball. You could be spending your weekends like a lot of folks in from Florida. Baseball is the big thing here. And there are parents that spend 10 years of their lives every weekend traveling to baseball tournaments. And you've chosen to say, nope, that's not going to be our quote adventure, if you can call it that. Yeah. But that's not common. And, and I'm sure you've gone against the grain, not only with your son a little bit, but you know, friends and and family. And because that's not the traditional way or the way you should do it, because you should promote your kid and doing that. So how did you make that decision? How did you present it to your son and your family? And how's it gone since then? Yeah, I think a lot of this has to do, there's a lot of pieces to this. Um, I am an athlete. I was an athlete. I was a three sport athlete all throughout high school. I actually competed at the collegiate level in track and field. And so I really value sports. And having been the teacher and my husband is a teacher, we're starting to see by the time kids get to high school, they're burned out. And so I also was just aware of that. So that's what kind of one factor in the back of my mind. The other thing was that I mentioned this earlier is I didn't want the rest of the family to have to sit on the sidelines while one person in the family gets to play. Like that doesn't always feel comfortable for me. So how are we connecting as a family when we're sitting in the bleachers going from baseball game to baseball game? Um, on these like crazy hot days in the summer, like that didn't feel like fun to me. And yet I wanted to continue to nourish my son's enjoyment. So we've, we, so all of those things I think have really informed our decision, but we don't take it lightly. I mean, early on, there wasn't really value to having my son compete at the, in the traveling league. We just didn't see the value of it. I'm like, it's just going to burn him out. And so we didn't really think much about it. He's in middle school now. Um, And, you know, things are getting more competitive. So we see the value of it now, but we gave them a choice and said, okay, well, you know, we have the option. We're going to be leaving here for Hawaii in a little bit. I'm like, we have an option to go to Hawaii for an extended period of time. We can do that or we can stay home and play baseball. What do you guys want to do? And they were like, are you kidding me? Like, is this even an option? (laughs) And so when you create the other thing to really combat what the options are, it's become now a choice that no, I'm not gonna choose to be in the travel league because I'm gonna choose to do these other things. And that's true of other things too. You know, We've taught all of our kids to downhill ski starting at age two. They're choosing some of these really adventurous things now because it's become so much a part of the fabric of who they are and they like those things and they wanna do those things. So they're intrigued by them and they're making the choice now to choose adventure in their life as opposed to feeling like, 
all my friends are doing this. I really like, you know, I, they recognize the value of not just the connection, but that there are other opportunities. And, you know, we also said too, I, I'm not putting all my eggs in the basket that my son's going to get a college scholarship for baseball. Like, I just don't think that that is the path that we're investing in. We're investing in giving as many experiences as possible so that he's well-rounded and we don't have to rely on a college scholarship. So that's kind of the intention around some of those choices. Opening your kids to those experiences early. So you're ingraining it in them to give them the option. So you don't have to choose for them. They make the choice on their own. And I think I haven't done the the study or the data on it, but if you did that for a hundred kids, I'd be willing to bet 90 out of a hundred would choose an adventure. It doesn't matter what it is, but choose the adventurous path because as kids, we always did that even as, and we lose that. And that's what you're trying to, you know, preach to others is don't lose what is ingrained in us from an early age. We want to be adventurous. I think it's hardwired into us to do that. And you're doing it with your kids. So they don't, you're not making the choice for them. They do it themselves. Right. I think the choice we made was to embrace adventure early on. You know, that this is the other thing I'm like, I just want to inspire parents. Like just because you have kids doesn't mean you have to stop either. You know, we have been skiing since all of our kids were age two. It could have been easy. And I was pregnant during a lot of that time, by the way, (laughs) Um, you know, that was a trick. Good for you. (laughs) um, And that's, you know, like the safe thing is sometimes to, wait until they're fully developed and they have the motor skills and they can. And I was like, well, that, how, what is that teaching them that like they're teaching them to wait and see what happens as opposed to like, well, let's just try this and see if we're good at it and know that we're going to do, I'm not going to make my kid unsafe. We've had a couple interesting scenarios, but (laughs) you know, you learn through those things. And I think as a society, we've done ourselves a disservice by aiming for perfection all the time, because in perfection, there comes a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and a lot of things that we kind of opt out of because we don't think we're good enough to play that game. Well, when you opt in early and you play a lot of different things, you find out what you're good at without someone else telling you, well, you have to be this, this, or this. I mean, you just naturally compare yourself against other kids. And I think having a couple of good adventures where it's a risky thing and learning safety and learning your boundaries is really healthy early on because then it kind of builds that into your DNA, so to speak. It absolutely does. That goes next to opening probably a whole can of worms because I firmly believe in this. And it's sad, you know, the, the term helicopter parent it feels like we shouldn't even need a term for that, yeah. <laughs> but we do because it happens so much. And you, you did a recent podcast on your own show, Ordinary Sherpa, which we're getting into, but I forget the gentleman you were talking to. He stated it as essentially a lot of our fears as parents, we fear we're not doing it just right for our kids. And you end up hurting the kids more than helping them by not letting them do those adventurous things, by not letting them go out and maybe they might get hurt. For example, skiing, I, you know, we're teaching our kids to ski, even though we're in Florida, but we're being intentional about taking those trips. Cause I grew up doing it. It's been fun for my dad to get to join them. And there, there was some, you know, falls and whatever. And we go biking and I've watched my kids progress and I'll sit back on the sidelines now and, and be more nervous than I ever was as a kid. doing yeah. it. <laughs> But no, but, but I hold myself back because I know if, if I say something or, or put fear into them, then they won't get the confidence and the courage to move on, whether they are successful at doing the next trick or they fail and, and fall hard. What do you tell parents, other parents to help them stop that? Because I think it goes on so much. We're so fearful as a society of protecting our kids, bubble wrapping them. And that does, like you said, immensely more harm than good because then they can't even make choices on their own. They can't choose the adventure because they don't know how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky scenario because so much of that is modeled for you. So I try to be a model. You know, I'm by far not a perfect parent and I'm, I don't aim to be quite honestly because that's where the learning happens. Um I actually think perfectionism is kind of selfish because you're really limiting the opportunities that other people get to experience then because you're so afraid of making it perfect. But your question was, how do I really inspire others? Is that what your question was related to? 
Mm -hmm. allowing them. Yeah. I encourage people to just practice, like just try it, just um, say yes to things that make you feel uncomfortable and notice what's making you feel uncomfortable and what are you nervous about? And then like so many scenarios I've said, well, what's the worst that can happen? And we go there so fast and think that's the way it's going to be. I've had a number of worst case scenarios, <laughs> things ha like some of them have kind of been like, holy shnikes. But because I at least thought about it, I was, it wasn't nearly as bad as I had made it out to be in my head. And I'll tell you one story, and I'm not saying this to scare any parent. I'm saying it as a moment of worst case scenario happened and it all worked out in the end. Um, so do you mind me just sharing Absolute, a quick kind no, of a please, by all means. bad, <laughs> bad mom moment? Not necessarily. It wasn't necessarily our fault, but we were skiing up north. And my, we, I mean, my kids were old enough to ski on their own, but we've always had them kind of on a, they have like these backpack harness things that we use. And it helps with getting on and off the chairlift. Well, my daughter got on the chairlift of a ski hill and her ski got caught under my ski and the lift operator didn't notice it. So we were actually, she was kind of like dangling off of the ski lift. Super scary. I'm holding her backpack and thankfully I'm holding on, you know, I'm, and I'm just like, okay, this is worst case scenario. Like I've seen these videos online and I always wonder what <laughs> would happen and how I would handle it. But it was the most meaningful moment for my daughter and I just to say, okay, all of these things we've practiced. So we practice things like, um, helping our brain unwind, you know, kind of like mindfulness practices before we go to bed of just deep breathing, just relaxing, kind of unwinding from the day. And I, she said, mom, I'm real. And she was calm. She said, mom, I'm really scared. And I said, LMA, I love you. And I am not going to drop you. I need you to trust me. If you get really nervous and you start flailing, it's going to be really hard for me to hold you. And there's a hundred people running our direction to rescue you. So just trust me. And it was kind of that like unbelievable trust fall that you never knew you were signing up for. <laughs> the we extreme were at, trust fall. <laughs> yeah. Cause we were at least like 20 feet in the air. Everything ended up working out well. We were close enough to kind of one of the posts, the cross posts or whatever. And thankfully my husband literally just watched a video and he's like, okay, in my head, I was running over there going the snow fence. We could use the snow fence as like a parachute to catch her. And it was crazy. We ended up being able to drop her and do essentially like a trust fall kind of thing. There was enough snow and enough people that they kind of basket caught her. They, they, we were able to get her skis off. So she didn't hurt anyone in the process and drop her poles. Everything worked out well to the point that when my daughter landed, she was laughing and I'm like, okay, nowhere in my worst case scenario, did I imagine my daughter laughing and saying, can we do that again? Right. <laughs> So, and, and I was a nervous wreck, you know, like I still oh, sure. have a hard time now, like sure. getting on the chairlift. She's beyond it. There were a couple of times the season after where she got nervous, but we just said, you know, like it ended well and you laughed in the process. I know it's not always going to be that easy, but we could have talked ourselves out of skiing forever based on that scenario, because, you know, I don't want to ever experience that again, but it ended up okay. So even sometimes our worst case scenarios are never going to be, if you think about them and acknowledge them and say, oh yeah, that would be scary. I hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, you know, we kind of have a thought process behind it. And yet knowing that the worst case scenario didn't actually play out as I had imagined it would, was wow. reassuring. Thank you for sharing that. I say it's a great story because of the ending and yeah. what you all experienced. And I would imagine not having gone through anything that extreme, I'm sure it gave you a different connection too with your daughter to experience that. That's not something that parents and children get to. We spend a lot of time. We teach our kids. We we try to be good role model. For and to your point, we're not perfect. And I think that's part of being a good role model is let kids know you don't have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. Your mom's not perfect. And we're never going to be. We want you to be good people, but we're all going to make mistakes. But that experience that you guys went through, I liken it to, and I, and I don't want to make light of service members or people that are really on the front lines, but they always talk about taking care of the person to the left of you and to your right and to the right of you. I would imagine it was similar to that when you experience something so deep that we don't often get to experience with our kids unless we kind of put ourselves in adventurous situations with them. Yeah. It's hard to, you can't really role model this, right? You can't really, unless you're in it. 
And I, you know, we can talk about preventing these things from happening and tell stories and watch videos, but until you're actually experiencing it and realizing you're okay on the other end, it's a powerful moment. And I'm probably one that's going to stick with both my daughter and I for a really long time. I mean, they also say there's, there's, I don't know what happens in your brain. I I'm not that intelligent. I can't speak that closely to it, but I know that when those experiences happen, right, they kind of make deeper grooves in your brain and those can be bad experiences or they can be good experiences. So I'm like, if I can just make more good experiences to outweigh some of the bad experiences (laughs) along the way, if I have that, you know, if my net ratio is positive, then I feel like I'm moving them along. But if we never have any of those experiences, when you get into a bad scenario, you may not know what do I do with this? You know? So I just think there's a lot of power in experiencing risk and challenging yourself and knowing it doesn't have to be perfect in order to play. Right. And leading up to that was the intentionality of being in an adventurous family. So when the situation presented itself, it's just like they talk about training for military or otherwise they do the training. So when you are presented with that situation, people aren't running for the cover. They're calm, cool, and collected. And and you did the same exact thing because you'd done it so much. If the bad situation happens, the best way to handle it is we're going to remain calm. You're going to trust me. And it worked out. And that's, that's just really, really cool experience. So that was a struggle with this adventurous family and, I will say a lifestyle. And again, I'll reinforce what Heidi is talking about is not the epic adventures of traveling the world all the time, but continuous mini adventures interspersed with some big ones like going to Hawaii and stuff. But the flip side is what do you struggle with on like a continuous basis of that lifestyle and being a parent and all those things? What do you what do you struggle with during that process? Yeah, I think I should not process, but I should say, what do you struggle with along the journey? Yeah, well, it definitely is a struggle. I think we're not doing the normal thing and I don't even know what normal is, but there's a lot of people who think that the American dream is you work until you're 65, your kids go to school, you take one vacation a year, your kids go to college and I'm and I'm not opposed to that. Right. I just know that that lifestyles were a little awkward in that space. Like I just embrace the weirdness of it, but it's lonely and, and finding your network and finding your tribe and finding people who really understand why we're doing this. I think a lot of people, I talk to people, I mean, people see me and they're like, gosh, you're so adventurous. I'm like, yeah, but it's not always, you know, like it's not always epic either. (laughs) Um, and so in some ways, I feel like we're choosing a life that's a little more risky and that people think you're weird. And that's, that can be lonely. I think that's hard. You know, as my kids are aging, we're embracing some decisions too, that we're like, well, it might not be what everybody thinks it's going to be. And we can look weird. And that's, I don't know, when you're the outcast, it, it can feel lonely, but to that side of it, and it's easy, I should say, to want to drift back into what I, quote unquote, normal looks like, right? It's so easy to just sign up for 12 years of public education and then college and a career until I'm 65. I'm like, but that's not what I've been living like. You know, I, I, I think there's another way. So I think I I struggle with that a lot. You know, I think just managing all of the things and what to say yes to and what to say no to, and then finding your tribe is hard because I'm not out here boasting who I am and I'm not selling you anything. You know, I think all of those things, like, I just want to find people who like to adventure, who are willing to connect and have kids. You know, I think that's been my challenge. And part of the reason I created the podcast was to find a network of families who were really interested in an adventurous life who weren't necessarily, you know, I I think part of it is the age of my kids. I see a lot of people who are willing to do it when their kids are infants before they go to school and then they go to school and they settle down. Or I find people who vacation once a year and have kids my age because they're doing all of the other things. They can't make time for it. So it's just, it's been an, or there, you know, people who have never chosen, who've chosen to never have kids because they wanted to make this adventurous lifestyle or they're waiting until retirement. And I was like, none of those options seem like the option I want. So I got to figure this out and create a network of people who are willing to connect with us along our journeys, who are willing to give us a different exposure of what 
life could be like in these different locations. You know, my, one of the aspirations I have is when we go to Hawaii, I want to try to meet local people. Like I want to know what is it like to live here and stay here? And what are the places you enjoy as opposed to like signing up for every tour? I don't want that. You know, I don't want the highlight reels of Hawaii. I want the local experience and kind of the untourist. Who are the small businesses I should be supporting? Who are, what are the local gems that really we could nurture and support and strengthen that aren't getting all of the marketing dollars or all of the travel and right. tourist dollars? Those are the things that I try to look for. And I know that that's a little off, right? So I, so I just, I would say if you're in this boat, embrace it embrace the weirdness of it and use that as your superpower as opposed to a deficiency and then start to build your network around that. And that for me has been the largest struggle. And you've said it much more eloquently than I ever can, but in full disclosure, that is one of the main reasons I reached out to you. Our message I think is similar. You're still talking about living your story, living your story intentionally not waiting till you're retired and then you can do all the great things. And, oh, we have kids now. So that has to be our focus. And let's spend time nurturing them to see if they get the scholarship. Like you said, I'm, I'm an outcast in that. And it, your message resonated with me. And I think one of the things I would add to that is you mentioned weird. And I think it's only weird from the side of the fence you're sitting on, right? Yeah. It's just a, an opinion of somebody else really. <laughs> and whether they call me weird or not, I'm okay with it. But if you're stepping into the lifestyle or, or have this sense of wanting to use social media out there as a tool for you, because I think some people, we're all guilty of it. We fall into the habit of using social media against our own better judgment. And we see the perfect pictures and we see the, the Instagram shots but use it as a tool to reach out. And it's so easy to find somebody now who can be part of your tribe yeah. that shares a similar experience. I mean, I'm sure there's thousands of Facebook groups out there that you can go join and you won't be so weird. You'll be yeah. normal in that group. It's refreshing and encouraging because it can be tough to say, oh, you're going to go do what with your kids? <laughs> and and everybody yeah. gives you the hairy eyeball, right? Yeah. And Brian, quite honestly, if I could, I never would have predicted, I launched my podcast in November of 2020. I never would have predicted the number of people who have contacted me and said, I feel like you're telling my story. I feel like, like they have felt this all along and didn't know where they fit or how. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never could have predicted I don't know. I just put a mic in front of my face and started talking. I didn't really know where this was going to go. And if I would have let the destination really define what I started talking about, I, I couldn't have predicted this, right? I had a concept and I was like, well, I think there's something here and I'm going to connect with some people and tell it. And if it doesn't go anywhere, oh, well. But taking the risk to even go, okay, well, I'm going to embrace this journey. And I'm these are the things I'm struggling with. These are the things I'm interested in. I'm really just having fascinating conversations with people I'm intrigued by who are either further along in the journey or further behind me in the journey. And I'm like, well, you know, there's, there's room for all of us in this space. It's not a competitive market. I don't see it as a competitive market. Not, not at all. It, it's really that. And I always liken it to, I, I try not to live with regrets. We all hindsight yeah. is 2020 and we say we can, but I remember back in college, I had the opportunity to go study abroad and I chose not to one of those things, but I use that. And then talking to other people that have studied abroad or, or done an adventure taken, and you never hear somebody come back. At least I never have and say, gosh, I wish I had never done that. Right. Might they might not do it again. Cause they didn't like it for whatever reason, but you usually don't hear. I wish I never did it. And it is about the journey, not the outcome. And I'm doing the same thing as you. I just, stuck a microphone in front of my face and talking out there into the to the ether but you have these conversations and you start to realize wow there's other people out there with these these great interesting stories and there are neighbors and there are, you know our friends or acquaintances and they are out there and there is a group of them and you can find your tribe like you're doing and and I support you in creating that voice for people to say Hey, I might only be a few steps ahead in the journey. I'm not some expert. I don't have a PhD in this. Nobody does. 
but here, take my hand, come along. Cause it's fun. The journey is worth it. The journey is worth it. So kudos. Talk to us a little bit about then ordinary Sherpa. First of all, for some people that don't know, what is a Sherpa and how you came up with that name? <laughs> yeah, I actually was reading a book at the time. It's kind of funny about a woman who had climbed Mount Everest. And she talks quite a bit about the Sherpas. The Sherpas are a tribe in that region who essentially are more accustomed to the climate. So they can do things often that would really require a lot of exertion, a lot of things from the climbers. And so they support the climbers in reaching their summit. And I was like, that's a really cool metaphor. Like, what if I built a tribe of people who could help other adventurers reach their summit? So that was kind of the namesake behind the Sherpa, but also... I mentioned a lot of times, like, it's not always about the epic thing, right? When I say adventure, you think Mount Everest, I'm like, well, let me think about a working mom instead. So really, I'm just an ordinary person. And that is, <laughs> that is the namesake behind, uh, like, ordinary people like you and I, just living life. We aren't notorious. We aren't famous. We don't have millions of dollars to travel the world. But that's okay. Like, we're going to teach you a different way to approach that. And along the way, we're going to build the Sherpa tribe to help you reach that summit, whatever that summit is for you. So that's kind of the, the concept behind the Sherpa and the ordinary in front of it. Um, because I, yeah, sure. maybe I'm extraordinary. Maybe I'm not like, I, it all depends. Like you said, based on whose opinion that is, but right. I see myself as just a regular mom. Like I, there's nothing special or extraordinary that I did in my life that gave me permission to be in front of this mic telling the story. Like I'm just a mom, a working mom with three kids in Wisconsin. You just gave yourself permission to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone, be a little uncomfortable. And I think you're like me. You don't have a background even in broadcasting or anything no. like that. <laughs> just said, and and that's the thing is, it's so easy to do, but I think a lot of people get in, the, their heads get in the way. Yeah. I, you know, going back to some of the questions you had earlier, something I didn't yeah. mention that I should have is like, what are you curious about? What are the things that you're like intrigued by, but then said, no, I could never do that. And for me, those are the questions my husband and I all start to have. Like we just started creating a dream list and he's like, I would love to build my own car. And I was like, well, why haven't you? And he's like, I don't know. It's just, it's too expensive. It's too this. And I'm like, well, then let's hack that. Let's figure that out. <laughs> like, let's find a way for you to volunteer on building a car. So, you know, like we can figure something out that's a little bit different, but letting curiosity be your guide too. If you don't know what you want to try, like just start looking around and be like, what am I curious about? What are the things that I hear your story? I hear all these podcasts that are coming out and I'm serious. I'm interested. I should say, how do, what do I do with that? How do I continue to learn and just let curiosity flow? Cause I, I think even in the podcasting space, right. I had no idea what I was doing, but I just continued to explore it and learn it and go, Oh, that's interesting. And I'd listen to other podcasts and be like, oh, I like that format. Or it's interesting how they ask that question. So you just continue to be curious and learn along the way, knowing that, you know, you're going to screw it up and you're not going to be perfect. There's a lot of stuff I've done that's not good, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Most people won't even notice. Right. No, the, the world doesn't care that much no. about us, you know, regular Heidi and regular Brian. So don't get hung up on that part. And curiosity, gosh, you, man, that hits close, close to home. And the reason being one of a, a person that I look up to is Theodore Roosevelt. And after studying him, I mean, he was a role model for curiosity and everyone thinks, yes, he was a president. Yes. He did all these amazing things, but he did it because he was so curious and he remained curious throughout his life. He was always learning about new things. I mean, from even a little boy, he was curious about nature and he would bring in bees and, and bugs and insects and have like his own little zoo inside his room because he was so curious and carried that along. And it's like, gosh, if we all just did that, like you said, yeah, you're going to stumble. But even if you go down a path because you're curious about one thing and that might not be the thing, most of the time it opens a door, an avenue to something else, I think. And that's that's the key is just staying, staying curious, and then going back to our kids. And that's more important than ever. And I'd love your opinions and, and thoughts on it. Because I believe, you know, one of the challenges in our school systems, whether you homeschool, traditional 
public schools, which mine are in, is they're rapidly approaching a world that is going to be very different than what we grew up in. And I think that curiosity will serve them well and being able to understand how they fit in the world and make their own space. And if we don't do that, because I don't think the school systems or the teachings, it's important to learn this stuff. It's important to learn to read and math and all that stuff. But but that curiosity component and instilling that in our kids to want to go out and continually learn about new things on their own outside of the school is going to serve them more than reading, writing, and arithmetic, if you will. Yeah. I've really come to not appreciate standardized tests. <laughs> not because I care about the test score, but preaching to the like, choir. Yep. Amen. Yeah, it's just, it's doing us such a disservice. What do we care where our kids are? Like, who is that a measure against? And some of those measures are so arbitrary and I'm not opposed to public education. My husband's a teacher. And I, what I should say is I find value in my kids learning from other people, mm. but I don't necessarily love the fact that what they get to learn is determined for them. I want them to explore what is it they're interested in. Some of the greatest, when you look at memory retention models and learning styles and things of that nature, you really only, and I'm not going to get these percentages right, but like the things you hear, you really only retain about like two to 3%. The things you do and teach others, you retain almost 60 to 70%. So like, why are we talking to kids about things. <laughs> Why don't we have them doing things and teaching others about what they're interested in? Because that's where you just, you retain that information and you don't, you just need to know enough, right? About all of those other things to know where to look for the answers. And if you teach them to be curious, they'll be able to figure that out. So I think we've got it a little bit backwards that we've decided what the benchmarks are and reading and writing and history and all these things. I can tell you, I'm an adult who does not remember most of those things. I, and when I'm like, oh, like I remember there was this thing one time with trig. I'm going to have to Google that now because <laughs> I don't remember it. And I haven't used that in so long. But if you build the muscle of curiosity, not only do you retain it and you practice it regularly, you're going to know how to figure out the answers going forward. So there are po components that I'm just really annoyed by. And I think the more we can teach our kids to be curious and be willing to take a risk and try something they're not good at is going to offer them so much more in the long term than hitting a benchmark on a test. Absolutely. Yep. And this is coming from a former teacher whose husband who is now the the head honcho adventurer in the family. <laughs> so so you have the experience, you know, a little bit further along than the journey and you've been in those shoes to talk about that stuff. And the other interesting thing is being in a group, that is so important of putting our kids out there with their peers in a non-structured way, letting them be adventurous on their own because they start yeah. teaching each other. I've I've noticed that a little bit when we go with friends like mountain biking and our kids learn from each other and how they start interacting and encouraging and teaching each other. And it's like, if we, if we, as parents just step out of the way, sometimes they figure it out. They, they can do more than we believe they can do. Absolutely. And it's, it's fun because now that I have three, obviously, and they're so different and you see the oldest, which normally I think the firstborns tend to be a little bit more responsible. So you see them stepping into that place, but my youngest, who's like adventure overload, and I can't quite <laughs> keep him contained sometimes you see them helping correct each other and teaching each other like different things. So my youngest is teaching my daughter, who's much more like I don't know. I don't like to put labels on her, but she's much more like in her own world. And, and he's like, LMA, pay attention here. Like this is important. You know, so it's, it's fascinating to see how they are teaching each other too, based on their strengths and based on the other person's fears or deficits. And I've seen my oldest teach my youngest son some tricks that I wish he didn't. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's amazing when you give them the flexibility and just create the conditions for them to be curious what can happen. I never would have expected, I have kids that are like artists that I'm like, how are you possibly drawing that way? And it was just more like, oh, go figure this out or go try this or go, you know, there yeah. just was a nudge to say, go get curious about this and figure it out. And if it's interesting, stay on it. If it's not, you can stop. I don't care. You know, there's no, 
determination that you have to be X. And at this point, it was just let, let that be your guide. And it's been a fascinating journey for us. So learning and curiosity, what are you learning about right now? What's next on your agenda that you're diving into? Well, apparently podcasting is taking off for me. So <laughs> that's a new world and kind of embracing community building in a different way. Um, never again thought I would be standing in these the space of how do I support other parents? I'm currently launching, actually it's going to be, it's going to be done, I think, or close to done by the time this podcast lost, but I decided to um, create kind of a cohort experience for other families to really embrace everyday adventure. So I created a challenge. It's just a space to really help. I, I, there's a book by um, Seth Godin called Tribes. People are looking mm -hmm. for a leader and I don't necessarily love to be the leader, but I'm recognizing there's a time and a place when you just need to step into that place because people are looking to be led. And so I think I'm learning about that and how to support a community of families that are interested in this lifestyle. Even though I'm not the expert, I wouldn't call myself the expert. Um, I can be a leader for some people. So that's something I'm definitely learning and leaning into. There's a lot of things I'm still learning though. I'm, I'm learning about potentially life on the road. Uh, we just bought an RV, which was a surprise to me. <laughs> it, that's another adventure where we, um, we, it, the backstory is we rented an RV in 2020 when everything else got shut down. Cause we're like, okay, this will be self-contained. We can do anything we want. We can just be us and go off an adventure. And I had thought about this potentially, but it was a little bit resistant to it. And then this is where like my husband's adventure gene like kicked in full force. And he's like, I think we could do this. And now he's thinking we could do it full time. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I really love our house and I'm not willing to like take that path. So again, you see these different pathways and I don't think we're going to be like a full-time RV family, sell everything and live in the RV. But I think we're going to be like part-time pseudo full-time RV healers okay. where we embrace the lifestyle, but maybe not all of the um, factors that are in place. So I think we're learning a lot about what could that lifestyle look like. Again, we're not the experts in that space. And I don't know that we plan to or want to be. We also are thinking about five to 10 years out. What if we lived abroad? You know, is that an option for us? What might that look like? I don't know. Again, I'm letting curiosity be my guide and know that there's a lot of really fascinating people out there. I might someday write a book. Like that's another thing I'm curious about. I don't know that I'm going to do it. I'm not committing to it on air right now, but I'm curious about it and thinking, gosh, there's a story inside of me that I don't think this has been told other places. So it's just more like researching it and deciding, is there an audience for this? Is this a need? Is this a problem that's, that needs to be solved that I could offer some support to? So those are all just, you know, again, curiosity is, is my guides. That's we'll see. fantastic. The one underlying theme that I heard through all that though, was just saying yes to things. I'll use the example you said between the house and the RV, because my wife thinks the same way. I think your husband has a very dormant super adventure gene. So we might have to have him on, but <laughs> I would, I would probably say, yeah, let's go, let's pack up tomorrow, sell the house and go and we'll figure it out. And she's like, no, we're not going to do that, but let's figure out a way to make the pieces fit so we can experience these adventures and not get boxed in, if you will, mm -hmm. of here's the path we have to take almost like, yeah, I can see a few feet down the road, maybe a mile down the road. I don't know where it goes from there. Like you said, I don't know if you're, you don't know if you're going to write a book or the ordinary Sherpa is going to lead to, but I'm going to go down the road anyways and kind of figure it out and have some ideas. That is so, I think, powerful for other people to hear is don't always be so quick to say no. I would say more importantly than anything, time is the one thing you, that is the limited supply of. Yeah. Especially with a family and kids. Go ahead. Yeah. It's funny. You said that don't say no, or be careful when you say no. We actually, I think going back to the relationship piece, my husband, for the record, my husband's a tech ed teacher. So like he does construction, he can fix stuff all the time. And when we bought our last house, I was more the creative. Like I could see the designs. I had all these ideas and I would share them and he'd go, no. I was like, what, what? Like, you're just killing it. You're not even going to like, think about it. You're, it's just a no. And for him, it was like time and money. Like it's too expensive or I don't have enough time to do that. Or, you know, what's the value of it. But we got to that point where I was like, stop saying no, like, just stop. Think about it for 20 hours. Tell me no tomorrow. So at least I think you thought about it. And by tomorrow I might not even care, you know? So it became like this unwritten rule in our relationship that every time someone had an idea, 
the other person couldn't say no for 24 hours. It's kind of like this unwritten thing now that because every once in a while there's a, you know, that we joke, like we're done having children and we've made that decision. So if he was to say, can we have another child? There would be a hell no in there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but outside but of that, yeah. <laughs> for most, for mo you know, there's obviously boundaries to this, but for most things, you know, this idea of like, sh what if we live full time on the road? And I'm like, mm, let me think about that for 24 hours. <laughs> It's become kind of fun because again, you're so trained to say yes or no. And things are black and white and there's a rule or there's a way there's a path that's predetermined for you. And if you start to say no to, or if you start to say yes more frequently, or like, think about it, why is it that way? Why do we feel compelled to say, no, it's too expensive. Well, it doesn't have to be that expensive. Like what is, what is the, background information you're using to base that decision on. Like there's so many ways to look at how you make decisions too. And there's so much psychology behind it. So anyway, I wanted to go back to that point because again, my husband was not necessarily an adventurous person, but some of the things that we've learned from our relationship has allowed us to be more adventurous. The other thing I will comment on my husband's wisdom really quickly before I get off this topic is when we were just dating, uh, we were in kind of a long distance relationship. And I was like, I can't wait until this. And I can't wait until this. And I can't wait until this. And he's like, will you stop wishing your life away? He's like, just enjoy that. We have three months that we're going to be apart. Go enjoy life without me there. Like, it'll be fine. Stop wishing your life away. And I never lost sight of that when my kids were little, you know, it's so easy to be like, I just can't wait till they sleep through the night. And I just can't wait until they can walk. And I just can't wait until they can feed themselves. And it's like, well, stop wishing your life away. Just enjoy the moment that you're in. Cause it's going to pass fast enough. And I don't want you to be you know, dropping your kids off or having them move out and you going, oh, I wish I would have done this. Cause that's, you know, let's, let's enjoy the moment because that's the antidote to regret later in life. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, I can't, <laughs> can't just put it in the book. Would you put it in the book, <laughs> Heidi? You mentioned talking about your husband and the no thing. I, I was just on with Ricardo Ramos. He's a fireman. His wife works at a bank and that's their thing is this traveling. And he had folks, he has a lot of folks coming in from work. And it's funny because his wife has the same thing on the other side. Like, oh, you guys just, how do you do it? What does your husband do? Or what does your wife do? Because they're automatically thinking, well, one of you must have tons of money to be able to do this. He's like, no, we are intentional and we adjust. It doesn't have to be that way. And I think the no answer comes from society. It's so easy for society and to impress upon us the no, because that's the path. Because most mm -hmm. people are going down one path, the oddballs in the group like us go off and there's this dirt road and it's bumpy and all they see is all you can see is dust from the person that went before a long time ago. Yeah. But that's but that's the fun because there are bumps and you might get stuck in the in the ditch and you got to keep going. But you look back and like, wow, you, you have this amazing view. And now I'm kind of waxing poetically. But it's so true because once you start doing it, it's addictive. And then it becomes addictive for your family. Your husband got into it and he's obviously addicted to the adventurous lifestyle. And your kids are making these choices because they're curious. So I'll kind of wrap up since you've got books to write a, a tribe to, you know, go lead. Sum up for us what you want your story to mean to others. Yeah. I want people to know that life doesn't have to be hard, that you can enjoy every moment of your life. You can make the magic out of nothing and it doesn't cost a lot of money. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be you know, famous. You can create the life that you want to live and fall in love with life again. It just takes a little bit of intention, a little bit of creativity and a tribe to help support you along the way. Awesome. I hope everyone... Um takes that to heart. I know I will. So, and I want to give Heidi an opportunity um, to plug and she's, again, she's doing this not because this is her, her big thing. She's doing this on the side. So she's plugging it because she loves in it and with all her heart believes in um, ordinary Sherpa. So where are the places folks should go to join the tribe? Anything else they should know about what you're doing over there at ordinary Sherpa? Yeah. Thank you for that, Brian. I, yeah, this is not my full-time gig by, <laughs> by any means. This is totally a passion and I'm loving the journey. Uh, Ordinary Sherpa started as a podcast. You can find us anywhere podcasts are played at Ordinary Sherpa. 
Our website is ordinarysherpa.com. Um, but I would say if you really want to kind of stay in the loop, the best way to probably stay connected is either through Instagram, we have a Facebook group or subscribe to our email list. That's kind of where all of the announcements and things are happening. So all of those can be found at ordinarysherpa.com. That's easy enough. And we'll put all the links down when we launch the episode, they will be in the show notes. So you guys can go link up and find your tribe with Heidi. So Heidi, thanks so much today for your time. I've learned a lot because I've been so curious about talking to you. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for reaching out. I love having conversations like this. And I really love what you're doing here. Um, I think so many people get stuck in thinking life has to be this. And you're really creating a space for a lot of different stories to be told. And I hope that whether it be your kids that listen or an entire army of people who listen, that they see the inspiration in what you're creating. So really appreciate what you're doing over here too. Well, I appreciate that, Heidi. Thanks so much.